anybody who says they don't hit a wall, I find that hard to believe. I think at every stage in life and in running, you you do hit that wall. It's just about, I suppose, surrounding yourself with the right people to help you to get through it. That was, of course, our guest for today, Jan Corkin. You can hear more from Jan very soon. We'd just like to say a quick thanks to MindLab Pro who brought you the episode today. MindLab Pro are the world's first universal nootropic, so their aim is to help boost all aspects of cognition, all types of people through their products. You can check them out online. There are some introductory offers available and you can get the link that we're going to put in the show notes. And you can also get a link through from our website, sleepyperformerpeat.com. Big thanks to MindLab Pro. Check them out. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 102. Today we spoke to Jan Corcoran, Irish ultra runner, marathon runner and Olympic hopeful. Jan started running marathons in 2015, having hardly run at all before that. She now has completed 50k ultra runs and has ambitions of making the 2024 Olympics representing Ireland. Along with the miles on road and the lofty ambitions to be at the Olympics, Jan, known as Jantastic to her friends, works full-time as a money laundering consultant and manages to balance both worlds. We talk about Jan's identity piece, her grueling periodized training schedule, race pace, and her recovery practices. Jan tells us how she runs to work from leak slip to Dublin most days, which is not a little jog, and her introduction to running. Hope you make it to the Olympics, Jan, from the two of us here. Jan Corcoran, thanks for coming on the show. How are you, Jan? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. And Jan, where is home for you? I live in Leakslip in County Kildare. Jan, for, for the for the listeners, give us a little bit of a sense as to a big question to start, really, but who you are and, and, and what do you do? Yeah, so um, I'm a, a runner. Um, so I cover marathon distance. Oh, well, any of the distance is really up to marathon because that'd be part of my training. Um, and I've also been doing a bit of ultra running as well. So that's basically, if anybody who's not sure what a, an ultra marathon is, it's the crazy people that run longer than a marathon. Um, so I, I do that as well, as if running a marathon isn't bad enough. So I squeeze that part in as well. Uh, but I, don't I'm not a an elite so I still have to work because I still have to to pay the bills so I work as an anti-money laundering reporting officer it sounds a lot more exciting than it actually is um but I'd rather be doing the running full-time uh, but unfortunately the bank manager doesn't really agree with that because <laughs> the money isn't there so uh, I do that for a private company in Dublin um, which is obviously the capital so which is kind of handy in a way because I get to run to work sometimes and run home so I get rid of the stresses before and after <laughs> uh, from running home so it takes about an hour depending on what it, what it is I'm doing and um, so kind of it works in my favor for that and um, just going to say League slip to Dublin. You run. <laughs> we can't go on in the conversation. People need to understand what that means. This isn't a two mile run for most people. No, no. This is you're talking. Yeah, about sixteen. You could be covering half marathon, depending on if I take a turn or if I do any of that. So, and it's all hills as well. So, 
yeah so uh and i tend to run the bus route as well just on the off chance god forbid anything was to to happen um that i get to I can jump on a bus if I need to touch wood. I've never had to and I don't plan to. <laughs> so, but it's always just nice to know you've got that, that extra bit of, um, just security, I suppose, there as well. Cause obviously a female running on her own, um, in the dark as well is, uh, quite daunting sometimes. So, uh, thankfully I don't have to do it too much because, uh, it depends on where that falls into my training, uh, that I would do it. Uh, but due to obviously COVID now I'm, I'm working from home. So it's a allowing me a, a bit more freedom for when I can go for my runs and um, time-wise I'm not kind of time constricted um, to if I had to obviously to go into the office which has worked in my favour so I'm kind of taking the positives from COVID if you can find any for me that's my positive is is that I'm, I'm getting to work from home for that and uh, my job know about my craziness of, of running and they're, they're very very supportive and I suppose I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without their support as well so uh, which is great. Uh, they still think I'm mad, but uh, they they love hearing about obviously everything that I'm doing. And then I suppose the next big thing I suppose for me now is my dreams of fingers crossed qualifying for the Olympics in 2024. So I've a bit of work to do, uh, but I definitely believe I can give it a hundred and ten percent of a shot. And hey, you only live once, so. At least if I can say I've tried it um, and and I get there and tow the line with the rest of the, the elites, it would be nice. So me and David know a bit about the background um, of your running career, but you haven't always been a runner. Tell us a bit about when you started. Yeah, so I yeah, I haven't always been a runner, but I've always been very, very sporty from a very young age. Um, I'd always be out. I'd be the one the the lads would knock at the door for to come out and uh, to play soccer for. Uh, so my grandparents and parents would be kind of every time they opened the door, there was a boy there. <laughs> scene was Jan coming out to play, and they weren't for my brother. So uh, I'd be coming out. So I never took it that there was a a gender difference or anything like that to me as I was getting to play. But it was only as I started to move on obviously and get older that I found out that I wasn't allowed to always play with the boys because there had to be a girls team and a boys team so um, that was a bit frustrating to start and then to see obviously that the girls didn't get as much high profile as the boys would and uh, but I didn't let that stop me I I still continued to play so I played a lot of soccer um, at a pretty high level I went to the states with it as well and then I played a lot of tag rugby and I played it for Kildare as well uh, so as you can see, I, I don't shy away from from sports and getting hit. So uh, I was a, a goalkeeper when I played soccer, but I also played outfield as well. And that was the reason my coach said that uh, he was bald was because half the time if I was in goal, I could be up in midfield and he'd be wondering where the hell I'd gone. So uh, he said I was always very light on my feet. So which was, I suppose, which has helped now for the the running as well, because that was the first thing uh, my old coach picked up on. He said is that I was quite light on my feet. I suppose as a goalkeeper, you kind of have to be because you you have to be getting up and down as quick as you can and able to move quite quick. Uh, I wasn't the the biggest goalkeeper. I was probably the smallest goalkeeper in the league, uh, but I didn't let that stop me, Um, especially when we were playing against some of the Americans who were probably hitting six foot and there's little five foot five me uh, coming out. But the way I seen it was the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, And hence why I kind of went into tag rugby as well. Uh, It was just a that I just kind of enjoy. I like the, I suppose, the community side of things. 
that it was yeah. obviously interacting with everybody and it was quite community-based field. So I suppose that's why I probably transitioned so well into the running was because I like that, even though running is kind of a very individual sport, um, depending on obviously what what level you're doing it at, it kind of, I slotted in pretty well. Um, but it wasn't something I always said, oh, when I get to be 30, I'm going to run a marathon or I, I'm going to do this. Um, I kind of fell into it by accident. It was when my grandfather became seriously ill and my way of coping for it was to just go out and to run. And now I would, now when I say go for a run, I wasn't going for like two, three miles, four miles or whatever it might be. I was just kind of running to one lamppost, walk the next and kind of so forth, kind of gradually like that. Because while I was quite fit, running is a complete different fitness. So it wasn't that I just kind of ran a marathon, no, no issues and no training. Um, and then it was my sister-in-law. She said to me, look, would you want to come down to the running group that I'm with? And I was kind of like, no, you're all right. I, I don't, I'm not into all that elite stuff. And she says, look, I'm down there and I'm running. She said, you'll slot in quite easy. So I obviously I went down. It was, I used to live in Westmead at that stage. And I went down and it was like I'd always been there. It was kind of really weird that I, I just kind of slotted in. And majority of the people that I was running with, they all thought I was a runner, that I'd come from that type of background. Uh, so when I told them I hadn't, they were quite surprised. <laughs> and it was my coach then, he said to me, God, you've actually, you know, you've, you've there's something there, we just need to work on it. Uh, so kind of worked my way through 5Ks and 10Ks. Uh, back when I started uh, six years ago, it was there was no park runs. So it wasn't that you could go every Saturday and, and practice and stuff like that. So I just kind of kept the process, I suppose, kind of going, working from 5K to 10K. But that was my limit. That's when I said, right, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going any further than that. But then obviously you've got runners in the group that do do marathons and all these crazy runs. And obviously I got swayed <laughs> quite easily to start running with some of them. So, and I was enjoying it because it was quite leisurely. It was kind of like, like, as I say, a community kind of feel that you'd just go with them. You do your long run at the weekend along the canal. And before you knew it, 10K was coming up into 15K. Then you were kind of 10 miles. And then it was that day that uh, one of my running buddies said to me, would you be very good to do a half marathon? Uh, would you be interested in doing it? And I says, oh, well, sure, how much longer is that? And he says, oh, it's only another three miles to what it is that you've done. And I was like, gosh, three miles is nothing. Like, yeah, sure, go on, we'll, we'll give it a go. And the, it was in um, Clontarf. It was my first half marathon. Uh, that was in 2004. And it was bitterly cold. I remember that. And it was an early run as well. And you had to run along the beach. And the first while I was grand, this was, it was going great. And I thought this is the best thing ever. And then it was like the second half, it was like, why did I say I'll do this? Where is the nearest exit that I can jump off that I don't have to go any further? Uh, I felt so ill. I said, why would people run this? Why would you even think of running this? Why would somebody even run another one of these to run a marathon? That was it. And I just remember concentrating on my running buddy, Fleur, and saying, if I keep for her, I'm just concentrating her and don't get sick because there's too many people around. Just get to the finish line and you never have to run again. And that's what I did. I concentrated and I finished it in two hours, which was a really good kind of first first half marathon. But I swore from that day that was it. Never run again. 
runners were retired. We all went for well, at the time when you could actually go somewhere for something to eat. Uh, we went uh, to a restaurant there and everybody was eating. And I was just as ill as anything. I was just sitting there with a bottle of Luke's aid saying, please just get me home. And it was because I hadn't trained properly for it. I didn't respect the distance. I thought three miles was nothing. Uh, but three miles is a lot when you haven't trained that way. Um, but needless to say, a week later, I had signed up for the Dublin Marathon um, <laughs> the following year. So uh, I didn't retire for very long. That was uh, for sure. But I definitely learned a lot of lessons from it. Like that's what they say, isn't it? Or why would you want to do a marathon? I what was that week like? I mean, you struggled, you found it really hard and you didn't want to eat with everyone else. What did you enjoy about it or what, what made you sign on the dotted line a week later to, to go a little bit further? It was just the, the way everybody was around you saying, oh, you're doing really well and kind of congratulating you and stuff like that. And then when you kind of talk back to like the training up to it, that you did actually enjoy the training. And if I had done the right training for a half marathon, then I possibly would have enjoyed it more. But it was because I'd only trained up to 10 miles and those 10 miles were perfect. And I, well, perfect within reason, um, but they were enjoyable. But it was the extra three that knocked me. It was kind of like I'd hit the wall and that was that. So I suppose just a group of people I had around me, I had the right people that kind of helped me in that way um mentally to get through it and then I was back at the running club so physically I was getting back training again afterwards and it was only then that they said no well look if you actually train properly then you could give it a good go and you've loads of time because that wasn't going to be until the October so um that everybody was going to be training together so that's kind of what what got me into it like the most important thing that people have to think is is I hear people saying to me uh, oh, how far did you go? And I'd say, oh, I just ran 10 miles or 10. And I'd see them looking at me and I go, well, for me, that wouldn't be a lot. But for somebody else, it might be a lot. So like, don't look at the distance as uh, an obstacle. Work your way up to it. Kind of just break it down. Like kind of what I did when I first started, run from one lamppost to the next lamppost and then every day run further. So it's all about just respecting it and, and training right for it. Don't expect to just put the runners on and you're going to be like Kipchoge out on the, on the road, uh, breaking it to sub two hour marathon. Something you mentioned there about hitting the wall and it's maybe a selfish question because I want to know the answer for when I hit the wall, when I'm running, when I'm facing that impending doom. When I, when I just feel like I can't go on. How did you flip it that you've gone from not running to being an ultra runner? What's the inner dialogue like when you do actually base into that difficulty when you're on that maybe 15th mile or even if it's earlier? What's the sort of things you'd be saying to yourself? Oh, God, well, there's a mixture. You see, if you're in a race, you've kind of, you just have to learn to see take in the crowds like I see people running with headphones and stuff like that I personally couldn't run with it now I know some people can't run without it that's their way of of dealing with it to get through but I think the crowd the noise of the crowd helped me it was kind of like a, a motivation thing and like don't get me wrong like there's times when I do go out and I run and I do hit that wall but I have to just keep thinking of you've done the training so you know you can do it it's just you're letting your head take over and um, you need to get back to the, the positive thinking. And then 
I do think of my granddad, um, like as, uh, he passed away. So I do think of him. What would he think now if I just stopped? Like he's always taught me when I was growing up, like don't quit, don't give in. Just because it's getting hard doesn't mean you have to stop. Just keep digging in. Even if you have to walk, just walk or, you know, something like that. Just don't give in to it. Um, obviously, if you're injured, that that's a different story. But it's just mentally knowing and being positive and thinking of the people that are around you. Um, I suppose if you surround yourself with the right people, mentally that will help as well and um, so getting through it I know for people starting out that maybe to run with a running buddy that is of the same pace as them or slightly faster that can kind of to, to push them through it but um and then I have this trick that I do is that on my gels I stick little stickers kind of motivational kind of um stickers on it to say Prosecco at the end and kind of funny things like that and uh your granddad is is thinking of you and kind of funny quotes um kind of just to get me through it as, as distractions to kind of to take it away from it like anybody who says they don't hit a wall I find that hard to believe I think at every stage in life and in running you you do hit that wall it's just about I suppose surrounding yourself with the right people to help you to get through it and like it's a really powerful message Jan when you're practicing or when you're getting yourself primed for a competition and you're you know you're wanting to get under three hours for a marathon or you know three and a half for an ultra where does it come a point when it's about duration and getting minutes off the clock versus form and quality as to how you run. I'm always curious about, say you decide you're going, you know, from, from league slip to work. Are you fixated upon less time or an actual, the technique and style and how easy it is that you're running? Well, it's kind of, it's a, it's a mix of, because I'd have a, a training plan. So I'd kind of know, so if I'm say training for a marathon, I'd know I have certain um, runs that I have to complete within a week and the rest would be recovery kind of easy enough runs, but there'd be certain runs that would be a given that you'd have to do. So like a tempo run, which would be faster than say what my marathon pace is going to be. So you do your warm up and you do however long of of that pace and then you do your cool down and then you'd have your long run which could be all of a kind of an easy pace so about 10 to 20 seconds slower than what your marathon pace is um or you could have a mix in between where you could have running certain 5k pace 10k pace in between it so i'd kind of know and set it out that what it is that i was going to be doing um now obviously that plan can change throughout at the period because like for normally for like a marathon you're talking 16 weeks of a lead up so god forbid injury you're not feeling well or life gets in the way like the plan should always change to suit your lifestyle at the same time now i don't mean lifestyle as in i'm going off for the weekend and i'm going on a session or anything like that so it's more that if there's something like family-wise that something genuine reason if you want to be committed to doing a, a sub three you have to be committed to to put in the training because it's it's just not going to happen. Uh, like I had three attempts at it, and three attempts I was putting in the training, but just for whatever reason on the day it just didn't it didn't go my way. And then obviously last year, all my training did work, and the day just went absolutely perfect for me. Um, so yeah, so it's just about that balance of of obviously doing it but then what I find is it's very important I've noticed like my training has completely changed from when I first started in 2004 to now where I'm running a lot more at the paces that I'd be expected to run during a race 
So you're, I'm getting comfortable basically with the uncomfortable. Um, so that when I do go into the race, it's not as if, oh, this is the first time I'm going to run at this pace because I want to get this time. I've, I would have practiced it. So we can see how diligent you are in terms of planning your training. But you've mentioned earlier that you've had a graded approach to increasing the distance. And it's difficult at times for the elite athletes and people who are paid full time to get recovery from them big sessions, ultra marathons, even marathons. And you mentioned that you were doing almost half a marathon a day to and from work. So just very interested in how do you manage to prime your recovery and what kind of techniques do you use for that when you're doing such an amount of running? Yeah, like it, it is hard when you're working full time. And um, so like I was finding that I was finding it quite hard because I was working five days a week and like long hours and then trying to get home and train. And I was training through the night and then back up and it was kind of like Groundhog Day, the same thing. So I said, if I really want to give this a, a good go, I'm going to have to, something has to to give. So I changed jobs where it allowed me that I work three days a week. Um, and well, it's really four days. It's kind of split. I do two half days um, to allow for the training. And I purposely did that because I said, I can always go back to the five day. If things, God forbid, didn't work out, um, I can always go back to the five days if I have to. So um, I was able to kind of to do it that way. So that was a decision that I, I made. Um, and then I suppose for the recovery side of it, yeah, it would be great that I could come back after a run and have a nap or have somebody make me something to eat. Unfortunately, I, I can't do that. Uh, so I just make sure I have my meals kind of prepped, that I'd have a recovery drink or I'd have... Um, like a, a breakfast that's already prepared. So if I knew, say, tomorrow I had to run into the office, I'd bring everything in the night before, so I'd kind of have it all there. So I'd have no excuse that when I came in that, one, I didn't eat, or two, I'd go down the road and get something that, that wasn't useful for my body to be able to recover from. So um, it's kind of, it's all about the, I suppose, the preparing side of it. Now that I can work from home, as I said earlier on, it's a huge positive for me because it's allowing me to to have that recovery. I'm not stressing about trying to run at five o'clock in the morning to get back, to get showered, to go into work. I'm kind of getting up still at a decent enough time. I can go for a run and I'm back and I'm, and I'm working away. And then I get to do a double run and I'm not having to wait until eight or nine o'clock at night to do it. So it's given my body enough time to recover, to go back out and do the second run at an easy pace or, or whatever it might be, but then also still getting some family time as well. So it's kind of that balance of, of kind of doing all that together. Yeah, look, it's it's been a blessing really in disguise for you. We can understand how you're strategizing and putting different pieces into your day and week to, to help with your running. And, you know, you've touched in, on nutrition there and, and obviously the recovery. What other parts do you complement your your training with so do you do you do anything like yoga or pilates do you have a mobility practice any other kind of recovery modalities that you put into your week yeah i do some strength and conditioning um so i do that at, at home just all body work uh because obviously all the gyms are closed anyway but i tend to to stay away from anything like weights wise because um i just find it if i start lifting weights or anything like that i just i'm not recovering quick enough because i'm doing so many miles in the day that my body is kind of trying to recover from that and if i start going into the gym and start lifting heavy weights i'm putting extra stress on the body so i kind of just do some 
stuff around the house or I, I love to cycle as well so I do some cycling I don't like swimming because I don't like the cold water so unless I was in Barbados or something like that then that's different <laughs> but unfortunately not um or just walks I go for for nice walks as well and then just try and uh, and relax so because you know, it's hard because I still have to work and I still have to support myself. And then obviously kit wise and stuff like that, having to, to buy all that myself and kind of do all that stuff um, isn't easy. So there's a lot of kind of stresses that come in on top of obviously trying to work and then trying to, to train to be able to compete against the elites. The way I see it is I don't want to be just a name on a, on a piece of paper that's just rocked up and I'm taking a place. Like I want to be able to compete against um, the best as well. Good approach. Yeah. In terms of you're doing a lot of running, a lot of recovery, a lot of different aspects. How do you measure maybe your distance or how you're going? Do you use wearable trackers or do you write it down in a journal? I do a mix of both. I am the brand ambassador for Chorus uh, Wearables. So they're a new brand of watch that's come onto the market. So they are competing against the likes of of Garmin, basically. So they wanted to to work with me and help with me along on my journey, So which is great. So I suppose I'm testing the watch for them to see, <laughs> will it last on my, my crazy runs? And thankfully, it, it, it has been. I kind of give them feedback if uh, I think that there needs to be any kind of changes to it or updates or upgrades and stuff because I used to obviously wear Garmin um, a lot as well so which is the everyone would go for for that type of watch so I kind of have it that way and then my coach can monitor there as well so like I'm able to monitor my heart rate my stride my cadence um, speed all of that stuff as well but I tend to not get too caught up in it as well because I find it you can let it take over. So say on my easy runs, I tend to just run on feel, but the harder workout sessions, then that's where I'd obviously, I'll be watching my heart rate and, and my pace uh, to make sure that everything is in order. So they're, they're kind of the, the main things. And then obviously then as well, on top of all that for maintenance wise, I suppose I get massages as well. So it's obviously to make sure that the body is, is getting proper recovery and any knots or niggles that are there are getting looked after straight away. I think the dog in the background wants to get out for a run there, Jan. He'll be running the opposite direction when he sees me with the runners on. <laughs> Curious as to your thoughts on, on kind of the biomechanics of running. You know, we, we've read a lot on forefoot versus heel striking and barefoot running, Vivo, all these sort of brands. And obviously the importance of footwear with running, you know, different sort of brands out there as well. What are your thoughts on, on all of that? Yeah, that is... I'd say the key part to it, because if you put a pair of runners on you that's not comfortable or too small, too tight, uh, just heavy, um, like everybody is different. Not one runner suits everybody. Um, Like I buy so many runners. I think I actually have more running runners than I have any other shoe. Um, And I'm not fixated on any particular brand. Like to me, I look for comfort and how quick I can recover from it. I'm a neutral runner, so which is perfect for me. So most runners do kind of suit me. Um, but if anybody was looking to start it up or is actually running now and are finding they're having problems with their feet, so like as in getting constant blisters or problems with their toes and, and stuff like that, I would highly recommend that they get a gait analysis done 
to check that it is at the right shoe that they're in because not even only just for their feet but also like if you're having problems with your knees and your hips it could be down to your shoes now, there may be a, a separate issue as well but majority of the time is because when you think of it you're on your feet all the time so and you're pounding so there's obviously there's something that's wrong there so if you get the correct shoe um you should start to see a difference unless there's an underlying issue um, that's there. But I wouldn't just go into any kind of sports shop and say, oh, there's a pair of runners. I like to look at them and I like the price and the color. And you'd stick them on and then you think you can go and run a marathon um, or any distance in it. Um, I just think twice because while it might suit you for that race or that that run that you've done, you need to think of the longevity of it. That is it going to last me for longer? And if I know it's not always possible for people, um, but to rotate the runners as well, don't always wear the same pair. So whatever you wear today, don't run in them again tomorrow, just to allow um, the the foam, the memory kind of inside of it, just to to come back up and just alternate them. Um, So that's kind of what I do. Now I have different runners for different runs, um, but that's just how pedantic I am. Because I have like ones for tempo runs and then a one for easy. And then I have my marathon ones then, obviously, as well. So, like, you don't have to have that many pairs of runners, but at least if you can get two, um, two really good pairs of runners, like, that's, that's actually better than even getting a watch. I'd look at your runners before I'd look at anything else. Like, geez, everyone talks about the Nikes and stuff like that. But, uh, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I wear them, I find them brilliant. Uh, I don't prefer them over any other runner or anything like that, but you still have to put the work in because like I didn't get my sub two hours. So I want to know, I want my money back. (laughs) I wanted that sub two, but like, yeah, look, everybody is different. Some people, like you hear so many people giving out about the Nikes, but you still have to put the work in and that's just it. Like they're not going to, they're not a magic shoe as everybody raves about them for, but it's great publicity for Nike. It is. It lands perfectly for our sales pitch them next week. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah, a few sponsorships now would be uh, would be nice. It'd save me a fortune because uh, <laughs> the amount of money. If I was to calculate how much I've spent on my runners now in the last couple of months, uh, the bank manager won't be happy. You'd know from the anti fraud, would you? <laughs> yeah. I know how to hide it. <laughs> <laughs> my last training question: We worked with a guy last year called Noel Carroll, who's an ultra run, marathon runner, should I say. And he's very elite. He'd done the Dublin Marathon last year in sub 230. Oh, and he would, have been, he would have been very meticulous in terms of the week leading up or the two weeks leading up to the, the run that he would taper off his train. And I'm just interested, mm-hmm. what does your schedule look like when you're facing into a big event? Yeah, you would uh, taper back because you would have done so many big kind of miles. So, yeah, about the two weeks to a week, um, depending on kind of what it is that you're doing, yeah, you would taper back. So it's just to give your body enough time to recover and to be ready. But, like, it's not when you say kind of taper back or recover. It doesn't mean you don't do anything for two weeks. You still keep, keep it there. You keep the intensity there, but you just pull back the miles as to to what you're training then obviously you're careful with um what it is that you're eating you don't eat anything out of the norm um i know a lot of people love all this carb loading and that they they stay off carbs for so long and then all of a sudden the week coming up to if they gorge on pastas and rices and stuff i don't do that i don't like to do that because um I just find it make me feel heavy and I kind of don't like that feeling of it. So I just eat normal. 
uh, food like I would any other day. Obviously, I'd be throwing in the odd extra bit of, of carbs or something or the extra pasta dish, but I don't go guns crazy on I do see some people going crazy on stuff like that um, and then obviously making sure I'm keeping my fluids up as well and that I'm not trying anything new because that's the last thing you want is to get food poisoning uh, before it as well because uh, I've had I know some people who've tried something different and got food poisoning and then it, it scumpered all their training so yeah it would be and try and get as much rest and sleep as well uh, like they say it's the day before the day before is the day that you really should be getting a good night's sleep because obviously the night before a race you're going to be anxious you're going to be thinking about everything and really looking over your kit to make sure you have everything and and stuff like that so you're probably not going to get the best night's sleep then and then obviously the day of the race then that I'm just making sure that I'm, I'm fueling my body right and getting prepared uh, for for that race. And so we've touched on the two week kind of leading up to the comp Jan but what about if you're just going out for you might never do a 10k and um, but an <laughs> ultra or a marathon or running running home from work do you have the same preparatory routine that you go through and 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 if you do what does that kind of look like or is or does it tend to be quite different when you're going for an ultra marathon versus I'm actually going home tonight no like for I would try it the same way for a marathon as I would an ultra marathon. Um, obviously, I'm having to take on extra fuels during an ultra marathon race than I would a marathon. Um, but I tend to keep it the exact same kind of as in leading up to it. Now, obviously, the training all the way up will be slightly different as in it will be slightly longer distances um, in the my long runs. Um, but apart from that, they would stay quite similar so they would running to and from work um yeah I'd have to obviously to plan so obviously having a breakfast making sure do I eat it first thing before I go or do I eat when I get to work I tend to just eat it when I get to work because when I get up in the morning I'm not hungry enough at whatever five or six in the morning to go down in a bowl of porridge plus it's too soon to kind of have that in your stomach and then try and start to run so I tend to kind of have porridge or overnight oats or a bagel or something in the office um, with a banana that and uh, and honey or something like that or some granola that I can have and then like same for coming home I'd make sure that I have a recovery drink would be ready for me uh, which is quite easy that I can just mix it together um, and then I'd, I'd have my dinner then a while later because one thing for me I know that when I finish a run I can never eat straight away so um because I'm, I'm never hungry most people think because I run I have a massive appetite it's actually the opposite which can I have to be very careful for is, is that I would lose my appetite so I have to obviously nearly force myself to have something to eat afterwards Um so like for that that's where the drink the recovery drinks come in handy because I can manage liquids straight after and then maybe wait um an hour and then try and eat something then so just making sure it's I'm these one of these people that love uh, the slow cooker or just having a one pot dish that can last a couple of days and, and me prepping at the weekend so that I know if I'm going to do that long run home from work that I'm not going to have to stand over the, the cooker and, and try and make everything. You mentioned something earlier in this episode, a little hidden piece that you mentioned was you're planning for the 2024 Olympics, something yes. huge goal. So tell us a bit about where that goal came from 
and what you're doing to get there? I suppose it came from, well, one, I thought I was too old to start with first because I'm 41. I, I think I was London. I think I was watching the London Marathon, not the one just gone, but one uh, prior to that. And Sinead Diver had made her, her debut. And it was a couple of the lads all messaged, go, God, you're the same age as her. And now I hadn't heard of the, the girl before then. So I was like, really? And then obviously she was doing so well and that she was Irish and stuff. So obviously Google came out and I started and that she was going for the Olympics and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I didn't think... I thought it was too old and they were like, no, no, for the marathon, you could still go for it as long as obviously you, ha- you have the time to do it. So that kind of just planted the seed. And I was like, but you know what? I could give it a go and just see how, how it goes. Because I love watching the Olympics and to obviously to represent your country at, at such a high level as that as well. It was just always, just, it's like just a dream. It was like me, I always wanted to play for Manchester United when I was growing up, so I couldn't do that. So at least if I could uh, represent Ireland and, and go to the Olympics. So my training now is all all for that. Um, so I'm going to chip away at the time because I don't have the qualification time at the moment. Um, so the qualification currently is 2.29. So I'm working now with my coach, to improve my time and to get that qualification time. So for 2024, um, I decided not to try and go for Tokyo uh, for a number of different reasons. Is One, I didn't have the qualification time. Two, COVID hit. So there's not any races that I could even attempt to try and get a qualification time. And I think that the time scale is just that bit too narrow to kind of really try and give it a good go as I say I don't want to get injured or get burnt out or, or anything like that like I really want to be able to compete at it so in order for me to be able to compete I really want to get a good run at it get the qualifying time and get myself in good enough shape so when that time comes around that I'm ready to toe the line with the rest of them and and hopefully do really well. And Jan, leading up to 2024 and all the comps that you'll be doing from now until then, I'm just curious, do you have a mantra? Do you have a, a, a saying, a slogan, anything you put on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that would be very much synonymous with your name? Uh, yeah, all my my friends call me Jantastic. Kind of just, obviously, my name is Jan. So, and everything is, after a race, you're like, oh my God, that's fantastic, Jan. You're doing brilliant, you're doing brilliant. And then one of my friends came up with a nickname fantastic and ever since then it's stuck on everything so it gets put on bibs uh it's even now my logo and some of my t-shirts and everybody just i suppose they like and they know me like even people i don't know know me by that name i'd rock up to a race and somebody would come over and go oh fantastic that they'd know so it's kind of stuck with me <laughs> so uh it's not a bad name i suppose so i'll uh, i'll take it anyway that's no, a good. It's a good one. I'd seen on the Instagram, and I was curious, so I fig- I figured, but I wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah. My friend, she was very creative. She just came up. We were all giving each other nicknames for a race that we were in, and that one's kind of stuck since uh, twenty fifteen now. So it goes on everything. Leads us nicely on to the last question of the show. What does high performance mean to Jantastic? Oh God, getting to those Olympics, getting putting in a full good performance to to put on that iron singlet and to do the country proud like most people always look at the Kenyans and the Ethiopians and think oh yeah they're the best in the world 
why can't any of the Irish athletes be the best in the world? Whether it be me, my nieces or anybody else, any younger girls, boys out there that want to do it. To me, it's just don't give up on your dreams and just surround yourself with the right people and just keep going for it. What a powerful message to finish on. Jan, two of us like to say thank you very much for giving us the time today. We're really looking forward to seeing what unfolds over the next couple of years. Wishing you all the best with all your training. You know, stay fit, stay healthy, and keep leaning on the people that you can count on and yeah, get get that time you need to have so we can see you competing and representing your country in 2024. Looking forward to it. Fingers crossed. And thanks, guys, for, for the questions. They were great. And, and for having me on as well to, to be able to share, uh, I suppose, my journey with everybody. And just that, yeah, just everybody just keep going um, as best they can and, and don't feel alone in everything as well, with everything going on. We have to take the positives out of this. Very nice. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Jan. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.